Hey, and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are a church that is for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We are passionate about helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So if you're just joining us for the first time, we would love for you to check out our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. There you can find ways to connect with us and see what's happening at Crosspoint. Now, let's listen to this week's Sunday message. you this morning. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of all of our hearts would rest in your hands and that we would be your instruments, either speak or to receive, but also, Lord, that we would uh, enter in to what is being said and allow it to shape us and to mold us so that our behaviors change because you have been present with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you noticed the extra energy during worship this morning. Part of it was due to the select, wonderful selection of songs, I'm sure. But the other part of it was is that this morning as we prayed together before the service, there was a clear sense of wanting to pray that God's presence would be tangible here this morning. That we would have a sense that something different was happening. I don't know if you experienced that, but when that little pop happened in the music, it was, it was an interruption that was overcome by refocus. Did you feel that? Did you notice that? And so I want to just encourage you that you sit with your hearts open because there's a lot of moving parts happening in our world today and in our lives, right? And if we're not putting ourselves in a place where God can speak to us, if we're not preparing ourselves to receive from him, we're missing out on great opportunities to have our weeks shaped by his will, his heart, his desire. Uh, There's a couple things I want to, before I get into my message this morning, I want to direct your thoughts to two things that are significantly happening right now. Uh, One is, I don't know how many of you heard about the revival that's happening at Asbury Seminary. Put up your hands if you... Okay, there's enough of you. If you don't know about it, just put in revival at Asbury in your Google search, and you'll get CNN, you'll get Canadian Broadcast Network, you'll get a whole bunch of references. This morning I just popped open my Facebook and a fellow who was part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, David Chotka, he leads in prayer across the nation. Uh, David was down there, and he recorded or picked up a recording of some of the stuff that's happening at Asbury. And it started a couple weeks ago, I think. I'm not sure I got the timing right. But they had a chapel. And chapel was normal. Everything went normal. Kids went off to their classes. And then kids got up out of their classes and went back to the chapel. And they just started to linger, be present, and allow Jesus to speak to them. You know what's happening now? On this little clip I was listening to, there was people who had come up from Brazil just two weeks later. People from Europe. People from other campuses across the U.S. People from Canada. David's from Canada. There were people coming from all over to sense 
what was happening and whether it was something that would touch their lives. And then a part of the report was very simple. We just got a report from another university. Actually, they talked about multiple universities where students were stepping out and seeking God. I want that here. We want to experience God working amongst us. And so, solemn assembly, what a great opportunity to pull together in the same direction, seeking God, longing for Him. And yeah, maybe tomorrow's family day and you can't make prayer through color. But if you can, your kids are included. Delaney has put together a process that includes all of us. And so I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. And allow God to start to speak to you collectively. But uh, there's some devotional thoughts or reflective thoughts going to be posted each day on Realm. So if you don't have Realm, download it and get hooked up. And we want to encourage you to be praying in very specific ways throughout the week. I'm not sure how the Wednesday is going to go with the prayer booth. When he mentioned the prayer booth for rent, <laughs> I thought of a little shack built out here in the middle of the floor here. Is that what it's going to be? No, what's the prayer booth going to look like? Like a tabernacle. So it's big. Okay. <laughs> Soda. <laughs> but the reality is there is an opportunity. But you want to know what? If that tabernacle or booth is booked, we've got lots of space in this building. You can just come and pray. You don't need to be in the tabernacle to make it work. To come and be present and put yourself in a place of receiving, opening up your heart. So that's the first thing I want to speak to. The second thing is <clears throat> 44,000 people already dead in Syria and in Turkey. And the number's probably growing. And there are opportunities in times like this. One of the areas close, or the, one of the areas is close to the city of Aleppo in Syria. Okay, where are you, Derek? Are you back in the room there? Anyway, Derek's around here somewhere. Derek has friends that are connected in that area. And he can talk to you a little bit about that central, that central Middle Eastern area. But in Turkey also, there's Christians moving into that area. And we need to be praying for an outbreak there. Back in the day when the, the tsunami hit Indonesia, remember that Christmas time many years ago? Achen province, where that tsunami hit, primary target, <clears throat> was one of the most resistant areas to the gospel in all of Indonesia. And yet the Christians that were able to move into that space and minister was powerful. And it opened up an area that had been untouched by the gospel. In Turkey, in Syria, the stories coming out of survival, uh, just one of the gals that is on my Facebook, she just posted a little story about a boy who had been in the rubble for a long, long time. And they asked him, how did you survive? What, were you, what was happening when you were under there for days? And this is just an indicator of how God's working. He says, every once in a while, a person robed in white would come and give me a sip of water and a little bit to eat. 
If you talk to anybody who's worked in the Middle East, you'll hear stories of Jesus coming and meeting people and revealing himself. And I believe in the midst of what's happening in Turkey and Syria is an opportunity. And we can't be there, but we can pray. Just so you know, the Christian Missionary Alliance, <clears throat> if you want to give, you can give to that through our church, and we can pass it through the national office, and it gets to the right places. There's a global network of Alliance churches around the world, and they are, have mobilized all of that network to bring people to bear in Turkey and Syria. Some of you have heard of Power to Change. <clears throat> they have a branch called Global Aid Network. And they're taking all of their ministries globally and funneling resources through Global Aid Network to minister there. And so whether it's the Christian Missionary Alliance, Power to Change, or if you have some other ways that you want to participate and so on, go to those places and find out what's happening and start praying. And if God moves you to give, that's a bonus. But we need to be engaged in some ways in our world. <clears throat> and yeah, we're here in the east side of Edmonton. And we have our own concerns that weigh on us. And God asks us to lift our eyes a little higher. And that's a little bit about what my message is about this morning. <clears throat> We're going to start with uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. By the way, last Sunday, my nose started to run. And I pulled out a napkin like this. And I held it here in my left hand. And my wife said it was very distracting waving this thing around. She's always helping me. And so I went to the sound people, because the problem was this boom is in the wrong place, right? So it's really hard. So I have to become right-handed now. Little distractions, right? But it is part of our lives. So 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 21. So, for God called you to do good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for, us, for you, he is your example. You must follow in his steps. And I use that as sort of a step into the rest of the passage. And in that passage, it talks about women as wives and men as husbands. And it says this in my translation. It goes, in the same way, wives, you're supposed to act in this way towards your husbands. In the same way, husbands, you're supposed to act towards your wives in this way. And the intention and purpose of that pas those passages was not to talk about order in the relationship, but was to talk about being a Christian in a marriage and how you are to live your life in such a way that the gospel would not be hindered in that relationship. You need to read closely. You can check that out. We can have a conversation about that. This morning, we're going to go to the next passage, which is in chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Because he's just finished directing the men and how they're to respond to their uh, wives and not hinder them in terms of their relationship with God. And in verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you are to be of one mind. Now, he was speaking to the church in Asia Minor. And through this passage, God is now speaking to us here at Crosspoint. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathizing with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. 
That is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. You know, one of the things this passage says to me is that God has an expectation that we treat each other well. Not only that, but we treat ourselves in such a way that we don't hinder the gospel reaching its full potential in our lives together. That's why it's there. Finally, to all of us. The intention and purpose is to keep our mindset that our role is to encourage the people around us to know Jesus. A focus of our congregation, Crosspoint, is discipleship, right? We go through the five marks. We talk about it. We have a path to discipleship. Do you know when discipleship starts? It starts the minute a Christian meets another person. That's it. That's when discipleship starts. Because our intention and purpose as followers of Jesus is to, in a sense, help people turn in the direction of who Jesus is and start moving towards him. Discipleship is not about a destination. It's about a direction. It's about being directed towards Jesus and encouraging people to take new steps towards him. And they might be a long ways away from Christ. But just the fact that they turn and start to pay attention is the first step of their discipleship. When we were in uh, southern France, the young guy that we were working with, his name's Brad, he's a dynamic guy in discipleship. And if you have been to France, you know that the French, because of their history with the church and so on, are pretty hesitant about anything spiritual. Well, no, religious. Spiritually, they're open. Religiously, they're closed. And so if you come across as an institutional church coming out of some sort of background like that, they don't want to hear you. So Brad, uh, he likes coffee. He's a coffee snob. And he would go around Aix-en-Provence looking for the best coffee shops. And he landed at this one that was run by a Filipino family. And uh, got to know them and liked the coffee. So he hung out there. But he had an intention. His intention was if he found a relationship that was open to conversation, he wanted to turn them towards Jesus. And so he invited his friends to the same coffee shop. People that he had known and got into conversation with them. And as they got into conversation, he got to know them, and he directed them in terms of questioning spirituality, where their spirituality was rooted. One day he said to one of them, "Uh, would you be interested in reading the Bible with me? And the guy thought about it and goes, yeah, I would. So he says, do you happen to have any friends? Yeah, I do. Do you think they'd be interested in reading the Bible? Yeah, I think they might. He had a small group of four French nationals coming to that little cafe. That's where they met. He got the permission of the proprietor. They met there, and on a regular basis, they would meet and read the Bible. The best part of it is, it wasn't a Bible study. You know, there weren't a set of questions you had to answer that were sort of the obvious answers, you know. Who was involved in this uh, story? Some of the things that we've done in Bible study in the past, they just read the Bible, and then he would ask them, what is it saying to you? 
What do you think it means? What, it say, what does it say about God? If this is true, how would it affect your life? Just asking questions, talking about it. They'd been involved for a while before we got there. <clears throat> and so in the year that we were there with them, all four of those people became followers of Jesus. Just by reading the Bible. You see, he just took a step to turn them towards Jesus. And then he just kept encouraging them down that road. Do you think you could do that with your friends? There's not a destination. <clears throat> As a disciple of Jesus, I want you to know that I haven't arrived yet. Matter of fact, I got a long ways to go. There are times where I slip back into selfishness. I slip back into doing my own thing. And it's pretty obvious. You, all you have to do is ask Brenda. She'll pick them up real quick for you. That's part of being known, isn't it? And so that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about putting ourselves in a place. And it starts here in the body of Jesus. What safer place is there to practice, just practice, directing people's thoughts towards Jesus? I know it's easy to talk about the Oilers and how they lost another shootout. But it's more than that, isn't it? That might be an opening. But the reality is there is an opportunity to, in our conversations, just as slightly, to ask questions that, in a sense, change the conversation. Point it. Yes, it's all right to talk about the Oilers. It's all right to talk about your kids and the dysfunction of your family. But those are opportunities when that happens to say, where is Jesus in that? How can we encourage each other? Because you see, when you practice that with each other, you're practicing it so you can do it with your neighbor. This should be a safe place. And so this passage here, when it says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathizing with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Pay them back with a blessing. When we learn to do that here, we strengthen each other. We build each other up. We create a safe place for people to come and be amongst us and to sense a belonging here. But it goes beyond that then, right? Because once you have the experience present here, then you're able to move on to the next one. So we're called to be others-focused. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, is a passage that is quite familiar. It's the one that says, Be ye submitted to one another out of reverence for Christ. The motivation for us to submit ourselves and to be other-focused is the fact that Jesus has saved us. The song they sang, I am terrible to remember what songs are and what the lyrics are. So forgive me if I massacre the lyrics. But the one that says, talk about God of David, God of Moses, that one that we sang this morning? What's it called? Same God. Same God. Oh, I like that. But the reality is this. Did you think about what it meant that he was the God of David? Or the God of Mary? 
And if that's true, could he be the same God for you? And it's taking our, the words that we're taught or that we're singing and actually allowing them to shape us. When we were a couple of the songs we were singing, some of the songs that we were singing this morning, I just felt a sense that I needed to pray that Holy Spirit be released amongst us this morning to minister to us, to awaken in us his desires. So 1 Peter 3, starting at verse 13. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? Good question, eh? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. This is how, and here's my own thoughts, this is how we enter into the rest of the Lord. I have Hebrews 4 up there. If you want to check what the rest of the Lord is, Hebrews 4 is one of the key passages that sort of speaks about the rest that God promises to his people and how it applies to us today. But this passage really is about don't worry because instead we must worship Christ who as Lord of your life. And that idea of worship doesn't just mean Sunday morning singing. It doesn't even mean singing along with your radio as you're driving. Yes, those are acts of acknowledgement and so on, but they are incomplete. They are just pop music if that worship doesn't translate to a change in your heart. You see, I don't know about you, but this morning... There was times that there was a number of us at the front were clapping. I don't know if the rest of you heard that or not. But the reality was we were being moved in such a way that we wanted to express what God was working in our hearts. So there was clapping starting. That is just an emotional response to the song. But it has the potential of being a foundation that leads us to changing our behavior. And that's what we want out of worship, out of our times together in singing. We want it to move us to a place where we acknowledge who Christ is and how significant he is in our lives and our willingness then to take that and say, yes, I want to let my friends know about this. I want to be able to, in a sense, invite them to read the Bible with me at some point and see if God won't lead them to himself. It is a great verse. Verse 16. Oh, sorry. Let's just go to verse, the last part of 15. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. You see, when we start acting out, if we start taking in the promises of God and believe that they are for us today, the same God, the God of Mary, the God of Moses, the God of David... If this is the same God and we embrace that, if we allow that to work in us and we start living our lives like they did, don't you think people are going to start paying attention? They're going to become aware of who you are and how you're stepping out in faith. And when they do that, they're going to start asking questions about it. And that's what this is about. This is about living your lives in such a way that 
you become distinctive in the world around you. And that distinction creates curiosity. And it opens the door for spiritual conversations. And that's why Peter said, you better be ready to give an excuse or an exa- a reason for what you believe, why you believe it. And it isn't enough just to say the Bible said so. It has to be something that is actually living in you. Something that has happened to you. That has changed your perspective in such a way that you can't go back to the old way. I know, every one of us has periods of our lives that drag us back to the old way. But God wants to defeat every one of those areas, one at a time. He wants you to overcome and experience victory over those things you struggle with. Because in doing so, you have another reason to say, this is why I follow Jesus. He has freed me. He has helped me in my life. So verse 16, but do this, and here's the part I like. I think Peter realized it was very easy to be tempted to preach, to take your Bible and thump somebody with it. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. But that first part, do this in a gentle and respectful way. It is important that we realize that the way we present the gospel, the way we speak about it, the way we share with people is a testimony of the grace of God in our lives. As a young person... I used to love debating. I probably still do like it a little bit. It was a habit in our household. My dad was a strong-minded man, and as teenagers, uh, we challenged him on a regular basis. My dad invited the challenge. And uh, you can ask Brenda about her first experience meeting my family and the wonders of that. But the reality is, is that that debate uh, was also a little bit competitive. See, I had a sister who was quite outspoken. I had two younger brothers that were also fairly opinionated. And none of us have changed. Even our, our fifth one, the one that was adopted into the family, she's opinionated also. It just seems it was the culture. Nothing had to do with DNA. And the result of that was is that I can remember <clears throat> getting into conversations with Hare Krishna or some other groups at the university when I was going to the university. And they were competitive debates. Reading this passage, I recognized that we were doing it wrong. We were trying to convince them with the head. When in reality, it's the heart. It's the grace of God. It's the soft voice that questions and tries to understand and come at it from a new perspective that is from God. Spirit working in us. And so this verse is a good reminder of us, to us, to me particularly. The temptation to defend, the temptation to make an excuse for what? 
rather than listening and asking and understanding and, and then finding the cracks where the Spirit of God can penetrate with grace and love and bring reality to light in their lives. At the end of verse 18, there's this phrase, He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. I like that. Do you have a sense of wanting to bring people safely home to God? It is an idea that in some ways speaks about gentleness. It speaks about caring enough to, to, to bring them along with your arm around them. My younger sister was uh, in a serious accident back in the fall. And I sometimes think about the fact that the paramedics and so on who got her and her husband out of the car, in a sense, were seeking to bring them safely, to sa or bringing them gently to safety. A number of years ago, uh, I was riding my bicycle, had a little trailer on behind. I was going down a steep hill with a few corners. I didn't navigate the corners well. I fell off my bike, broke my hip. Paramedics showed up in 15 minutes, lifted me up onto the gurney, strapped me in. The whole time it was about making sure I got safely to the hospital. There is something about that image that is caught in this. About our calling in terms of discipleship is about bringing people safely home to God. And so it goes with uh, verse 16 in terms of how we treat each other. So down in verse 21, it talks about baptism. Because you see, oh, there it was, sorry about that. It talks about the fact that as we are doing these things, it is putting us in a place to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. And in this last verse, this one is about our commitment and the expression of that commitment with clarity to the world around us. And so, as we think about being disciples and leading others into Christ, or to Christ, that is an act of obedience because we are called to be disciplers. We're called to make disciples. And yes, there's a pattern, and we have to act on it, but it really starts with us being willing to step out and do. You've heard me say it before, because I've said it a couple times here. What we know is only theory until we actually do. I can remember the first time I had a little Toyota, a 1972 Toyota. I had some problems with the motor. I read all the books and I knew what I needed to do, and I hesitated to do it. You know why? I'd never done it before. I'd never taken a motor apart. I'd never pulled the head off, took it out to get ground down so I could put it back in and set it up the way it was supposed to be so that little Toyota would run better. It was all theory, and that theory, that knowledge did not help me at all. It was only when I got brave enough to take out the tools and strip the motor down and then put it back together 
there were some funny moments putting it back together, I got to tell you. I didn't have a torque wrench. For those of you who don't know, a torque wrench is a thing that allows you to put the same amount of pressure on each bolt as you tighten it. I didn't have a torque wrench. Had a bit of a science background in those days. I forgot most of my science now, so it doesn't matter. But in those days, I had a little bit of science, and so I thought about it, and I thought, well, I have this wrench that will tighten it. Oh, and we have a scale for weighing ourselves in the house. I'll just measure the length of my wrench, and I'll do the formula. There was a formula for this in those days. And I'll put it on, and I'll put the scale between my hand and my wrench, and I'll just press it until it gets to the right weight. It was one of those moments I thought I was pretty bright. <laughs> but the fact is, all of that knowledge was useless until I did something with it. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Brenda was reading from her devotions this morning from Second uh, Corinthians, was it? Chapter 2. All the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> See, no promise that Jesus made is no, ever. It's always yes. <clears throat> now, here's a question. Have you tested the promises? You see, the promises you have tested, the ones that you've actually engaged with and carried out, and you know it to be true, that's a fact. But all the promises that you've read about and go, that's a nice promise, I like that one, but you've never done anything with it, it's still theory. And how do we enter into a deeper relationship with God if we don't take hold of the promises and actually test them? Put them into practice. See the outcomes. One of the ones we like to practice, and we've probably been disappointed many times, is somebody has asked us to pray for healing, and so we've thrown up a prayer for healing. And then nothing's happened. And we wonder why. Well, there might be a lot of different reasons. But you want to know something? It is a promise that Jesus has said is yes and amen in him. So what does that look like? And what does that call you to do? If you're a follower of Jesus, it calls you to practice it, to push on it, to pray and seek God and try to understand what that promise is about. And in practicing and trying, you maybe will start to see God do something. I mentioned that we were talking about miracles with the staff on uh, Tuesday. And uh, one of the miracles, I shared a miracle story, but I didn't tell them the outcome of that miracle story. We had a gentleman in our church at that time who would uh, sit at the head of the aisle there. At the end of the service, he'd come up to the end, end of the aisle, so I was facing him. And he would point at different parts of his body. And what he was telling me by the little charades of whether pointing here or here or wherever was he felt a pain of some kind in that location. And what he was communicating to me is, I was to tell the congregation that there, that was the case. If you have a pain in your knee, there's someone here who wants to pray with you. And so I would invite people to come forward, and then George was his fellow's name. George would come up after the service, and he'd pray with him. And I watched this week after week, and there was always someone to pray with him. And so I go, Lord, that's pretty simple. I wonder if I could do that. 
So I started praying and saying, Lord, I want to do this. If you want to use me this way, show me. I can't remember the first time it happened. I was scared spitless that I was, you know, phantom pain of some kind. But I remember one Sunday morning, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, I get a, a significant earache. And I'm going, oh, I, this, is not, this is new. I don't get these. And so I started praying, and I just said, Lord, is this you? I had nothing. I just had a sense that I was supposed to act on it. So at the end of the service, I stepped out and I go, you know, this morning I have this earache and I really believe God wants to speak to somebody here amongst you, amongst us. So if you have an earache or some issue with your ear, please come forward and I'd be happy to pray for you. So this gentleman came back uh, forward. He was about, oh, 75. And <clears throat> so I got talking to him. He was from Ontario. Uh, he had been a former Pentecostal pastor, <clears throat> and he was deaf in his left ear. Okay. Now, one of the things I've learned through the practice of that, that God isn't only interested in the physical, the deaf ear. He also had a spiritual truth to speak to him. So as I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, okay, he's deaf. I'm going to pray that you heal that. But what is the bigger issue? What is it that you're really calling him forward for? And and the Lord made this comment. He said to me in my heart, he says, this man is listening with one side only. He is hearing mono. And I want him to hear in stereo. I translated it pretty quickly in my head that he was resting on the Bible, the Word of God only, and he had forgotten to listen to the Spirit. See, it's two parts. This gives us a foundation of what's true, right? But it's the Spirit of God that makes it alive. And so that's what I prayed for him. I prayed that he would move from being a person who hears mono and to hear from not just reading the Scripture, but also from the Spirit. And when I finished praying that, I said, and Lord, as a sign of that, would you heal him and allow him to hear? When it was done, I asked him, I said, so how do you feel? And he said, well, your words to me were very encouraging. And he says, I'm not sure. So he plugged his ear. And go, he starts talking. He says, no, it's still deaf. I can't hear out of it. And I says, well, you know that God might want to do this still, but you have heard the message of the Lord. So I encourage you to reestablish listening prayer. That was Sunday. On Thursday, I get a phone call from Ontario. You won't believe it, Jim. I can hear out of my left ear. I go, oh, really? How did that happen? He says, on Monday when I got on the plane, back in the days, the headphones were mono. Or they were, mono, they were stereo. But often they were mono. At any rate, he gets on the plane, plugs in the headphones, turns on the music. There was no video screens in those days. And he puts in the headphones, and he's listening to the music. And he goes, I'm hearing it, but I'm only hearing it in my left ear, the ear that was deaf. God had healed him completely. You know what it did to my heart? It made me say, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And I've prayed for a lot of people since then that for healing. And a lot of them haven't been healed. But some have. And because the scripture says it, 
We have to stand on this and test it. And my experience has been that when it comes to something like healing, I will pray for healing if people ask me to. But there's often, for me, I know it's going to happen when I get a sense that God is telling me how to pray for that healing. And so that's why we listen. We know what the Bible says. Now, what's this all have to do with baptism? Baptism is the sign that has been chosen for us to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ to the community. That's what it's about. When we do a baptism, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But we also ask the question, do you declare Jesus Christ is your Lord? Do you commit yourself to resisting the ways of this world, the power of the flesh, the work of Satan? Do you resist that and give yourself wholly to God? See, it's about lordship. It's about taking and publicly declaring where we stand in Christ. And so I want to encourage you that this is a part of the process for all of us. If you haven't been baptized and you're in relationship with Jesus, he wants you to step out and publicly declare that he is your Lord. Because, you see, that's the foundation upon which we have the courage to step out and pray and to meet people and to speak to them because he is our Lord. He is the one that's touched our lives and shaped us and brought us into relationship with him. And he's asking us to go and do likewise for the world around us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says something like this. There's a God of compassion, Father of all comfort, who comforts us in every circumstance. Why? So that we can comfort others with the same comfort we've received. So I want to encourage you. Allow God to comfort you, to speak life to you, recognizing that how he has touched you is the very way he wants you to speak and encourage and touch those around you so that you might lead them home to God. Amen. Amen. Hey, and welcome back. Thanks for listening to this Sunday's message. We hope that we've helped you in your spiritual journey and that you're drawing closer to God. At Crosspoint, we gather on Sundays at 10 a.m. in Northeast Edmonton and throughout the week in something we love to call home groups. Home groups are encouraging and transformational communities for people just like you. We believe that the journey of faith is done together. So we hope that you'll connect with us at thecrosspointchurch.ca. Now, let me remind you of who you are. You are the people of God, called by God into his redemptive mission in the world. So be who you are.